0: What's up, QAA listeners? The fun games have begun. I found a way
1: to connect to the internet. I'm sorry, boy. 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 Welcome, listener, to a bonus addendum to the 98th episode of the QAnon Anonymous podcast, the Ash Sarkar Orange Gate interview episode.
0: Hello there, beloved listeners. It's your UK correspondent Annie here. I'm sat at an appropriate social distance from Ash Sarkar, a British left-wing journalist and activist who found herself at the centre of a far-right conspiracy theory that she was sending coded messages celebrating a terror attack through orange emojis on social media a few weeks ago. Ash thanks so much for coming on. Thanks for having me. So we go into a little bit of the madness in our latest episode but I wonder if you could tell us what went down with the orange emojis from your point of view.
1: So from my point of view it started on the Saturday evening. I'd gone to the park with my partner to meet up with some friends. Before they got there I was like I think I look really cute and I've got an orange lolly and there are orange bits on my bike. Why don't you take some pictures of me looking really hot? Um, So long suffering partner that he is, he (sighs) took some photos, friends arrived. I didn't think any more about them. Then we got home at about 10 o'clock. I hadn't been looking at my phone or checking the news. I tend not to when I'm out with friends and I went through the photos I chose one that looked nice and I posted it on Instagram and on Twitter with three orange emojis because I'm eating an orange lolly you can see an orange bike saddle and an orange bike wheel and also three emojis it's kind of the most pleasing number it wasn't until the next morning that I both learned about what had happened at the park in Reading and I'd seen the number of violent threats that I'd been getting. Um, So overnight, far right Twitter, I think coordinated through activities on Parlay, just went completely mad for it. So I was waking up to people sending me pictures of nooses saying that they were gonna pour petrol on me and set me on fire people posting the address of the school where I work in Amsterdam, people sending rape threats, racist abuse, someone saying that the same thing that happened to Joe Cox should happen to me. And it was all off the basis of this photo because they decided that uh, the three oranges symbolized the three murdered victims Some people suggested that the park that I was in, which was actually in Hackney, was the same park in Reading. And the way in which I was kind of looking off camera was a smirk to literally witnessing the murders. Um, People were suggesting that I was smirking like that because you could see people behind me. So it was almost like a smirk of, you're about to get murdered. Uh, The really funny part was, was people going, yeah, there's three white people behind her. And I was like, "Um, no, they're black and Latin. Like I remember like they were having like this amazing party with like loads of salsa. And then people were suggesting that the oranges symbolized Libyan
0: oranges. I didn't even know Libya grew Mm, oranges. No, me neither. I saw that one.
1: Yeah. It's kind of nice when you get racially abused and educated at the same time. So they were suggesting it symbolised Libyan oranges, which would have symbolized my affinity with the attacker. And then there was this other thing of oranges being a well-known symbol of death, because in the Godfather movies, when there are deaths in particular, mm. Vito Corleone, you can see oranges in the shots. Um, I really liked the Godfather movies, but I'd never picked up on the oranges thing. So again, being racially abused <laughs> and educated at the same time, so... Thanks
0: Ding Dingbats. <laughs> <laughs> so I guess the first question I wanted to ask you is how are you doing? How are you coping? Because I think it's really easy to forget for those of us who look at conspiracy theories from quite a sort of detached uh, perspective um that there's a real human cost to these things, right? Like I was really struck when I was just looking through uh, the responses purely to just put together the segment about just how vitriolic they were, how violent they were. And I I do remember thinking like there were thousands and thousands of these. And I remember thinking, you know, God, she's brave. I mean, this isn't my first rodeo. So this isn't the first time
1: I've had violent threats. In fact, a little while ago. Um, I guess about a year and a half ago, I was contacted by a journalist from CNN who asked me if I was aware that one of the people who'd been sending me death threats was the guy who'd sent pipe bombs to Robert De Niro and Barack Obama and all this kind of stuff. And luckily, the like cheap motherfucker was too tight to pay for international delivery, so I was fine. <laughs> um, but you know, I've had the onslaught of violent threats before and unfortunately they've been a part of my life for a few years now Mm. the difference between this occasion and other occasions was one the volume so it was Mm. just a lot bigger lots more people involved it felt more coordinated and also that it was just so unhinged that there was this whole narrative Mm. and story that had been uh concocted in order to you know it's people making up a story just to make themselves murderously angry mm. and i think because of that it's actually hard to feel upset because you feel upset when you question yourself and you go i could have done this differently or maybe i really got this thing wrong but when it's something that's so unhinged it's hard to feel upset you do feel more tense and stressed and frightened about going outside mm. so obviously my relationship to public space and my safety changes because of stuff like this. But I don't feel tearful. I don't feel upset. I don't feel depressed or anything like that because it's so deranged that
0: I kind of know I'm not the problem here. Yeah, it was literally just a picture in a park. It was so normal. Uh, I remember just being like stunned uh, because I scrolled past it. I think I just like favorited it. Just like, oh, cute picture. See, that's you supporting terrorist propaganda right now. (laughs) I hope you're pleased (laughs) with yourself. (laughs) So I think something that really interested me about the response to this, because obviously our podcast is about QAnon, which has its own flavor, I think, of symbolism and interpretation and this kind of thing. Um, And so I was particularly interested about the discussion about the symbols and this belief that you personally are sending hidden or coded messages through completely innocuous or innocuous seeming from their point of view social media posts um is this the first time you've been at the center of something like this Has something like this ever happened before in terms of people getting
1: really wound up about symbolism and coding, yes, this is the first time. Before that, it's been comments taken out of context, misinterpretation, or just straight up, you know, fuck off back to Pakistan, you packy bitch. And I'm like, Mm -hmm. "Uh, actually, it's Bangladesh, but (laughs) (laughs) whatever. But this is the first time it's involved this kind of really strange conspiratorial thinking. And I think what it speaks to is you need your own form of evidence when you want to justify your own completely murderous rage and so you need to come up with a language which purports to see things which go on underneath the surface because if you were to say what it is which is Katie Hopkins was banned off Twitter this week. We want to take down a leftist scalp. And look, she's Muslim and she's a woman and she's a communist. Well, it's hard to get everyone feeling invested in that because someone's going to go, Well, that doesn't sound fair to me. But if you say, Look, and what this shows is that there's this, you know, kind of subterranean language of terrorism and violence. And this is how they communicate with each other to take down white people to encourage violence against white people it it's a way of getting people you know radicalized for 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 want of a better term Um, so i think that it speaks to a kind of cure nonification of the uk racism landscape in a way that's quite worrying and i don't think it's going to be the last of this kind of thing Um, far from it My worry is that it's not brand new. It overlaps with other forms of conspiratorial thinking in terms of, you know, great replacement theory, which itself has a lot in common with much older thinking, which comes from, you know, the NF and that kind of particularly British history of, you know, far-right activism. And I worry that incidents like this can be more correctly identified as a form of stochastic terrorism. So it's a way of providing pretexts which make the possibility of random acts of violence significantly more likely against an individual or indeed a whole community.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I just wanted to add to that, that, that connection with great replacement theory, or, which itself is kind of like an amelioration of the white genocide um, phrase that they used to use for it, right? Um, I've often thought, has a kind of similar device where it will take images from I don't know advertising which so an interracial couple or something like this and then they'll kind of write over it sometimes I mean I often I mean literally write over it you know they hate you they want you dead and I think it is uh, as you say it's not just ginning up kind of a victim complex I said this on the podcast um it is I think justifying what comes next which is what's so frightening um and on that f- on that note, I guess I wanted to ask you uh, for my final question, what are some trends that you see in British far-right politics um, lately in a kind of post-Brexit, post-2019 election?
1: Um, really, one of the main trends is nurturing a sense of white grievance. And this mm. isn't anything that's new. Enoch Powell did it with his Rivers of Blood speech. You know, I see in 15, 20 years time, the black man will have the whip hand over the white man. And it's about nurturing that uh emotional affect which is whiteness is under attack but having to do this kind of sleight of hand which is but we're also not talking about skin color because in the british consciousness we go I'm not, I'm not racist. I've got no problem with the color of your skin, mm. right? That's the starting point. And then goes on to say, deport all the Muslims or black people are drug dealers, or whatever it is, mm. you know, so it kind of essentializes uh, forms of, of cultural deviance and justifies p- specific forms of either state or vigilante violence in order to uh, police or eradicate that perceived cultural deviance. So that's been going on for a while. But I think in particular, in the age of Black Lives Matter, there's been an amplification of that way of thinking. So people saying, well, if you can say Black Lives Matter, why can't you say white lives matter? Well, white people aren't nine times more likely to be stopped and searched than black people. White people uh, haven't been subject to the same levels of police brutality uh, as black people. You don't have the same uh, unequal outcomes in housing or employment or Mm. uh, healthcare. Um, and so it it becomes a way of understanding almost all oppression that exists in society through the lens of racism, which then means you can't actually talk about racism because it makes you the real racist because you're not, (laughs) you're not thinking about the things that do actually sincerely affect white people. It's just, it doesn't affect them on the basis of their race. It affects them on the basis of their class or something else. Mm. Um, and so I think that that's a growing trend and it's going to be something which is, uh, encouraged by this government, and unfortunately, I don't think that we've got a Labour Party which is interested in combating that or even ameliorating it in any way. I think we've got a
0: Labour Party which is interested in harnessing some of that energy for itself, which is worrying. Yeah, yeah, I would agree with you that it does really feel as if now would be the time to have a really strong um, Labour line on some of these issues and. At the minute, it seems as if the Labour Party is particularly interested in not rocking the boat at a time when it feels very much like the boat has been rocked. Right? It doesn't really feel politically expedient at this time. I'm not a politician. But that's just just my take.
1: I mean, you know, you can you lose a lot when you try and chase after the votes of radicalized pensioners. You also lose a vo- lose a lot by not chasing after the votes of radicalized pensioners, and it's it's a double bind. Um, but yeah. That's what Keir Starmer's got to work out. <laughs> Not my job, it's his.
0: <laughs> Thank you so much for coming on the show. This has been really great. And as I say, it was so nice to hear from the perspective of somebody who um, is in the centre of a Pizzagate-style conspiracy theory, um, except possibly even more deranged. Yeah, I mean, I really hope that you never have to talk to anyone who's at the centre <laughs> of one ever again, but uh,
1: unfortunately, I doubt that will be the case. But yeah, I think if, if there's one last thing that... I want to say it's been the support that i've gotten even from really unusual quarters has been really lovely and it's also a way of staying sane when you're at the center of something completely deranged it's when you've got people who can reinforce what you already know which is like this is completely batshit mm. um so yeah just a last thing I want to say is that I really appreciate everyone who took the time to say something nice or say something supportive or report an account. Um, It made a world of difference to me. Go and be nice
0: to Ash Sarkar on Twitter.
1: No, no, no. I've had (laughs) enough niceness. I've had enough niceness. Go be nice to somebody else. Anyone but me.
0: Are shower oranges the key to happiness? Spreading like a wildfire in an orange grove, The trend of the life-changing shower orange is upon us. We are in the age of the shower orange. I didn't know it until I was told. Yeah, it is exactly what it sounds like. It is eating a cold orange in a hot shower. And this may sound uh, inane to you. It may sound like something you don't want to try, but it is changing people's lives and it may or may not have changed our lives.